Dr. Puppet is kind of like the kind of animation I love doing the most. And even if I can't be doing that professionally at any time, I'm kind of working on Dr. Puppet as well, which is also a professional project, just not one that can entirely pay my rent. <laughs> Welcome to Geek Out with Angie Fiedler Sutton, an ongoing discussion on geeky topics. Hello, fellow geeks. Apologies for the two month radio silence. As I've discussed on this podcast before, I have depression, and while most of the time it's fairly manageable, for some reason in mid-June I got hit with a massive case of, why even bother? While I enjoy doing this podcast, it got to feel like it was the only thing I was doing in my spare time, and so it stopped being enjoyable as a result. It doesn't help that the stress at my job that I thought was going to be settling didn't. So I ended up taking a hiatus, wanting to refill my creative well and just focus on my mental health a bit. I've gotten a bit of a second wind back, and so I wanted to get back to producing this podcast. I do, however, plan to go back to episodes just once a month, with the proviso that if I have the time or energy, I may occasionally produce a special episode in between. So apologies again for the radio silence, and I hope to do better to inform you in the future. Back in February of this year, I was able to attend Gallifrey One for the second time. Longtime listeners will know that I love the show, and that episode 30 had me doing a summary of my experiences of 2018's conference. While there, I managed to snag 30 minutes of time with animator and artist Elisa Stern, the woman behind the YouTube web series of Dr. Puppet. We talk about what got her into animation, why she chose to do a Doctor Who fan series, and what's next on her plate now that she's decided to wrap it all up. In full disclosure, since this interview, she did do an Indiegogo project that I donated $50 to. Also, a heads up that the interview was in the hotel lobby on Sunday morning, so while it's fairly quiet at the beginning, the background noise does get a bit crowded as the interview progresses. My name is Elisa Stern, and I created Doctor Puppet, which is stop-motion animated Doctor Who that me and my team spent over six years making a serialized story of Doctor Who with, and we just premiered the, the first time that we showed the whole thing at Gallifrey One. Congrats. Thank you. I have uh, seen most of them uh, through YouTube, and I attended your panel last year. For the most part, you do this on your own dime, right? You're, I mean, you get like you have like a Patreon. We have done some Indiegogo funding to um, kind of help deflect the cost. So it is out of the, our love of the show and um, our pockets. Yeah, you know, it hasn't been a profitable thing, but it can't be because it's fan art. So right. that's just kind of one of the things that we have to deal with. But, um, yeah. So what made you decide to, to do something like this? I mean, obviously you're a Doctor Who fan because you're here at Gal from One and you do this, but, I mean, what prompted you to go, I want to do stop-motion animation for, for a Doctor Who fan vid, fan vid basically? Well, it's, it's kind of, a, it's a long story, so <laughs> I'll just preface that. It, it wasn't, like, one decision. So I am a stop-motion animator. I'm an animation professional. I've been doing that for over a decade. So it's something that I, you know, I love anyway, and I love Doctor Who. So it kind of... For me, it, it just kind of happened that I combined them, but my intent was not to make a multi-episode, episodic, animated Doctor Who ep- 
thing um, that would take six years to make and I'd have to, you know, have all these people work on it with me. That was never the intent. It just happened because I made the puppet first. It was the first one I ever made was the 11th Doctor puppet. And I just had gotten really into Doctor Who just a few years before. So I wanted to, um, you know, express my interest in Doctor Who with, you know, animation and puppet making. So I made the puppet with the intent of it just being something for me. But people liked it, so I put, posted photos of it originally on Tumblr. People enjoyed the photos, and it was something I was new to. I hadn't really done fan art that people had appreciated in the past. So it's kind of addictive if you do fan art and people like it and you get good feedback. So you're like, ooh, I'm going to make more of that. So, you know, it went from taking lots of photos of the puppet to making one little animation. In 2012, I did a Christmas video that was basically a parody of Rudolph Red-Nosed Reindeer. That's the original Doctor Puppet animated video. You know, looking at it now, like cringe because it's very um, rough. But you know, I made it basically by myself in my apartment in like a month and a half. So you know, it should be rough because you know. And I, you could see the like the behind scenes of like Wallace and Gromit or the Night yeah. Before Christmas. You, they talk about they've worked on it for years. Oh, so <laughs> Nightmare Before Christmas took three years to animate with a team of dozens of animators plus everyone else. So you know, it, it should have been rough. But after that, I got a lot of great feedback on that video. And then, um, because it was a different time for YouTube in 2012, so really, the time that YouTube was then allowed me to make more because I got invited to be part of an MCN, which was Nerdist, and that kind of got the ball rolling, and I got a little bit of money there, and that allowed me to make more episodes. But I got a little too ambitious, and I said, ooh, I'm going to make an episodic multi-part story with every single doctor in it, which at the time was only 11. Um, by the time I finished, there were 14 doctors. That's how long it took. <laughs> but... Yes, it was kind of that. So again, it's kind of snowballing. Um, so I can't answer that answer. That right. I can't answer that question quickly because it was just kind of stages of like, ooh, I'm gonna do that, but more ambitious. So you know, by the end, we'd made this thing, and I had gotten all these people involved. Two other animators I knew. I got them roped in, and you know, some storyboard artists, and then my composer and narrator Scott, who I hadn't, I didn't even know. You know, I found him on Tumblr, and uh, we became great friends. You know, it's just one of those things. I mean, it's just been the greatest experience that I never anticipated. Awesome. So what got you into stop motion animation in the first place? I mean, what, what drew you to that field? I, I always loved animation as a kid. I mean, like many kids, but I was always kind of like a process nerd. So, you know, I loved animation, but I wanted to know how it was done. And I, I loved sculpting things. So the first time I saw Nightmare for Christmas, I was like, you know, this is a really great movie, but... Someone got paid to sculpt Jack Skellington. I want to be that person. So that was kind of it for me. It was always something I enjoyed. I really loved science too. So for the longest time I said, I'm going to grow up to be a scientist. And then high school came around and I did this hard turn, possibly to the disappointment of my parents. And I was like, you know, I don't think I want to go to school for science. I'm going to go to art school, which is like, <laughs> but I do have some artists in my family. So I kid because everyone was extremely supportive. My, my grandma is a, is a fine artist and a painter, so, you know, it was something that my family supported. So I went to school and I got, I majored in animation, so that was it. I, you know, I did it for, for my job. I said, I'm going to do this, and I've had success in, in animation. There's ups and downs, you know, the economy really affects animation, believe it or not, because it's not something we really require in the world. It is entertainment, and it's very fluffy entertainment at that, but... You know, I've been able to do it professionally for a long time, and, you know, Dr. Puppet is kind of like 
the kind of animation I love doing the most. And even if I can't be doing that professionally at any time, I'm kind of working on Dr. Puppet as well, which is also a professional project, just not one that can entirely pay my rent. <laughs> well, and you decided last year that you were kind of wrapping it up, right? And you are going to take a break? Uh, yes. So, you know, we've been doing it for six years, as I said, and the story is complete now. We did wrap that up. So, you know, it took longer than I thought. I, originally, I thought I would tell the whole story in a year. And we got really far. That first year of Dr. Puppet, we were extremely ambitious. We did five episodes in 2013. And then between 2013 and 2018, we did three more. <laughs> but of course, if you look at them, they got a little more ambitious. So episode eight, the final episode, is almost 10 minutes long, and it took us two and a half years to make. And we did do an Indiegogo to fund that one specifically. So if you donated, thank you. I mean, it was a massive help because that episode is ridiculously complex. It has every single doctor in it. It has many, many sets. The animation is ridiculously ambitious. Just storyboarding it, which Erin did, took her almost a year because it was just so complicated. And she'd work on it, and then she'd need to like take a break. Because if you see the episode, you'll know why. It is confusing because it's set in space and the camera's zooming from planets, and it's like very, very hard to grasp. We had to like make diagrams to understand like what the relationship between all the planets was at any given time. So that, you know, it's just, all of those factors, the right time to not make another one because we finished up our story and, you know, coincidentally, a new doctor started. And like, as I said, you know, three doctors joined the show. Um, the 12th doctor, the war doctor, the 13th doctor, were created in the span of us working on this, which is ridiculous. So that's why I could compensate for the 12th doctor, because the ending of Doctor Puppet was always about the future doctor. At the time, the future doctor was still 11, so 12 could just easily step into my story. The war doctor couldn't, because my story has an order. Mm -hmm. And by the time we got past where the war doctor would be, he had, you know, He'd been introduced and we were already on the fifth doctor, so I couldn't, if he had been introduced sooner, I could have slotted him in. But, you know, there was a specific order, the doctors were appearing, and we were past his slot, so he got a little cameo later on. Um, you have to watch all the credits. But, yeah, for all those factors, it's the right time to end, and um, I'm ready to move on to some other personal projects that aren't Doctor Puppet, so it's just kind of the right time. I'm not going to say we'll never do it again, but, you know, there's no plans to do any animation with the 13th Doctor, which I'm sad about because first female Doctor and all, and I'm proud that we have a mostly female crew. It just worked out that way. It was not my intention, but I, I know a lot of you know pretty awesome female animators, and we just kind of all work very well together. And it would have been cool to animate a female Doctor, but it's just not in the cards right now, unfortunately. Well, but you did manage to recreate the photo shoot of her last year fairly quickly, if I remember right. <laughs> the, the, that's right. I did, as soon as I made her costume, there was, you know, the original promo photo of her, where she's um, kind of like stepping uh, away from the TARDIS in that field with the beautiful lighting. Um, as soon as I had the puppet with the costume, I was like, right, I'm going to recreate that. And at first I tried to recreate it outside, but it was February in New York City, so the grass was dead, um, you know, there was like no light, so I didn't have to rush to the park at like 4.15 when <laughs> there's enough light to do it, and I couldn't get the shot. And I was like, you know, that's fine. It would have been cool to do it outside. Instead, I recreated it inside, which worked a lot better because I could control the lighting. So I had some fake grass and uh, actually a toy TARDIS I kind of put behind her that was only about five inches tall. So it 
it kind of looks like it's five inches tall. But you know, I was trying to force the perspective and I shot it against green screen and then painted the sky. It worked out really well. So well, in fact, that it ended up on the cover of one of her comic books. Oh, nice. So you can buy the 13th Doctor issue number one. And one of the variant covers is my photo. Well, that leads in actually to the next question. I mean, obviously it is fan art and thankfully nowadays companies are much more open about that kind of stuff, but uh, what kind of interactions have you had with anybody from the BBC? Have they acknowledged you? Have they ignored you? Have you interacted with any of the, like, we were talking beforehand with Nicholas Briggs? I mean, honestly, the BBC's been really nice to me. You know, it, it is a funny time, and I know, like, Star Trek has a lot of issues with that, with, um, you know... Axanar. Yeah, they're... Exactly. So... You know, when I started Dr. Puppet, I was kind of nervous, to be honest, that I'm like, ooh, you know, is this bad? Like, I hadn't done fan art before, and as a professional artist myself, you know, I'm seeing it from both sides, where it's like, well, it's not my IP, it's not my intellectual property. If I had done something, I wouldn't want other people to do something with this. But, you know, Doctor Who is kind of a funny thing, and I think, luckily, the BBC was at a, you know, they understood it, that there were people there who could understand the difference between like someone doing something with IP that is destructive and something doing it that is loving. So they were honestly very supportive of me from the beginning. And within a couple of weeks of me starting that Tumblr with the Doctor Puppet photos on it, they had like re-blogged me on Tumblr and I was like, oh, that means they like it. Great. Someone at the BBC, you know, the social media team thinks this is um, okay. And I was like, great. Okay. So, you know, I was still, at the time, I wasn't thinking I'd ever animate it. And that became a big issue. But, you know, when I did start animating it and Nerdist was involved, my first question to Nerdist when they wanted me to make some more Doctor Puppet episodes as part of their MCN, is this kosher? <laughs> and they said, yes, it is. It, it's, it's a parody. I'm like, okay. And, you know, they assured me it was fine to do. You know, no one was going to sue me. The BBC weren't going to shut us down. You know, there's certain things we have to avoid, like music. Mm -hmm. So we can't just straight up use Murray Gold music. And I never wanted to because it's not Doctor Who, it's Doctor Puppet. Right. And I wanted, you know, there's, there's differences. There's no dialogue. It's a little bit gentler. We're very few villains in Doctor Puppet. In fact, there are truly no villains in any of my episodes. If you watch them all, no one's ever actually a villain. It's just like a gentler form of Doctor Who, it's Doctor Puppet. And, you know, I got that composer, Scott, involved early on because I wanted original music because I couldn't use Murray Gold. That would have gotten me in trouble. But, you know, getting original music was okay. And so Scott started creating the original music for it, and he also narrated the episodes, and I mean, he's just the best thing ever. So it was all those things that kind of made me realize, like, this is okay. And then I kind of let my guard down and then just kind of, you know, did... Uh, insane Dr. Puppet episodes that we spent far too much time on uh, using someone else's IP. It is a little bit of a funny thing. Like, why would you spend so much time doing this? I don't know. Talk to Stephen Moffat and Mark Gatiss about Sherlock. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, right, but speaking of Stephen Moffat, so I have had really lovely interactions with everyone. In fact, at Gallifrey One last year, just, uh, you know, a few feet away from where we are now, my you know, first night of Galley, I walk in with the puppet, I see Stephen Moffat at the bar, I'm like, oh, I, I should try to talk to him at some point. And um, someone else introduced me to him. Then I just start talking to people, and one of the writers was like, you need to meet Stephen. I'm like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> and um, I went up to him, and he saw me right away, and he said, oh, Dr. Puppet, hi. And, you know, he knew me, um, which was, I was like, okay, cool. So you know who I am. Great. And we had a lovely chat. So I've had that quite a few times with different people who work on the show, who 
know Dr. Puppet. I've watched it. You know, some of the directors, Rachel Talloway has told me that she's watched it all, and which blew my mind. I'm like, <laughs> I, it's funny. I, I will admit, I do not get starstruck by actors at all. Mm -hmm. I get starstruck by behind the scenes people. Mm -hmm. So, um, like, meeting Rachel Talloway, it's like, <laughs> although I would get starstruck if I met Peter Capaldi. Mm -hmm. Not met him. He's the one doctor actor that I want to meet and want to introduce the puppet to mm -hmm. because he's an artist himself so I feel like I can relate to him on a very personal level and he's a, a director himself, an Academy Award winning director at that so I <laughs> would love to meet him and I would probably like faint but you know I've had these lovely interactions with um, kinds of people that's why I love coming to these conventions it kind of makes me realize like what I'm doing is worth it all those hours that I spend alone pushing puppets around and you know it's all worth it when it's like oh, Rachel Talloway complimented me like oh, I'm gonna die hey guys I'm uh, Brian J Smith I play Will Gorski on Sensei we're here at the finale with a woman that I am currently geeking out with her name is Angie Fiedler Sutton and we love her very much enjoy the podcast you can find me on various social media at Angie F. Sutton. I also have a Patreon at that handle. For as little as $1 a month, you can support Geek Out, get the audio files a bit sooner than the rest of the world, and receive behind-the-scenes stories from all of my episodes. Want to support me but can't afford a monthly commitment? I also now have a coffee account at that handle. You can also support me by rating and writing a review of the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. Finally, be sure to sign up for my monthly newsletter. You can also see links to my social media and all the places you can listen to the podcast over at my website, angiefsutton.com. And now, back to my interview with artist Elisa Stern. Well, that leads actually into my next question. You're doing great at this. <laughs> um, you said this was your second galley? You yourself now have a fandom and have fans and have people that, like myself who've come up and I'm a huge fan. How bizarre is that for you? It is really bizarre. I mean, I've had... I've been going to these conventions for like six years, so I've always had weird little interactions with people. I think Gallifrey is probably the best, but it is weird when people come up to me and say something that is like, lets me know they've really been paying attention. Like, really funny thing is, since I finished off the last Doctor Puppet episode in October, my apartment got wrecked making Doctor Puppet, right? Because I make it in my apartment in New York City, my very small apartment. So the set for that final episode took up half my space basically so my apartment was a wreck so as soon as we were done animating and I would just needed to pack the setup and kind of take the opportunity to do a deep cleanse of the apartment and you know vacuum up all the glitter that had accumulated over the years and just try to like put my life back together so on my Instagram I've been like documenting my journey to put the apartment back together and I've had two different people come to me and congratulate me on my apartment journey <laughs> and I'm like that's like you've really been paying attention cool thank you it's been I really like my apartment now I have a couch again um, thank you <laughs> thank you for noticing so um, it's, it's just the weirdest thing that people you know to know that people care about what we do and, and express it to me is super it is still surprising, even though I've been doing these conventions for a while. Or when people see me across the room. Well, not see me, they see the puppet. Because if you know me at these conventions, I tend to walk around with a puppet. Because not that many people know my face. That's fine. That's how it works for behind-the-scenes people. We're not actors. So I need to carry my actor around with me. <laughs> Luckily, my actor is 10 inches tall. So I can carry around a puppet. And then people stop me and say, ooh, Dr. Puppet. 
And, uh, you know, that, so that's kind of my little cheat. But then I put the puppet away, and then I can, no one bothers me. It's, it's actually, it's a great superpower. <laughs> now, I'm sure it varies depending on, on what puppet you're working on, but um, in your estimation, how long does it take you to build one of these puppets? Uh, like, you answered the question for me, because it does take, it, it, it really varies based on the puppet. So when people ask me that question, I always fumble, because I'm like, well, Okay, it's one specific. How about for 13? 13 took the longest, so that's what I always say. She took me about a month. So I, I made her head first. I made her head when she was announced. So that was the summer, was it? I think the late summer, that's when she was. So I assumed her hair wouldn't change that much from the promo photo. So um, I, I sculpted her head and did the wig. I was like, well, she's, she's blonde with the roots. Clearly that's what they're going with. The costume though we knew was temporary, so I didn't make that. So she was just a head for a few months. And I went to one convention and just brought the head, which was really weird. But as soon as the uh, that promo photo with the costume was revealed, I said, right, I'm gonna make this costume. Um, unfortunately, there was only one photo of it. I was like, this is gonna be tough. But Gallifrey 1's in a month, and if I'm going to Gallifrey 1 for the first time, I can't show up with the puppet head and no costume. It's like, okay. I probably would have waited, but I needed to go to Gallifrey one with the costume. So I made the costume from one promo photo, which was pretty hard because I had to guess what the back looked like. Mm -hmm. But I guessed right. So um, I, I guessed there was a hood. I guessed the shape of the hood. I'm trying to tell, did you get the color of the jacket right? I, I <laughs> did. So luckily I was at L.I. Who. That was like the week after. the. So right, that's when the costume was revealed. It was in November because it was right before L.I. Who which is the convention I went to that year. And, um, oh gosh, I'm going to stumble on his name. The, the brand manager of Doctor Who was at L.I. Who, and he kind of was like, oh, that promo photo, the costume looks really kind of beige, and it's not. It's kind of light blue, almost purple. And I was like, okay, okay. So a lot of people who jumped the gun on the costume got the color wrong because the lighting was so weird in that photo. But just based on his description of the color to me, I bought the fabric just based on what he told me, and I guessed right. Nice. <laughs> so there were a lot of guesses. So I, I think I got every, the only thing I got wrong, which isn't really wrong, is that the inside of her sleeves are pink, mm -hmm. which a lot of people don't know. So the, the, the sleeves have a different lining than the rest of the costume, but the puppet sleeves don't roll up anyway. But that's kind of a, if you want a hyper-realistic, detailed costume, you've got to make the inside pink, so if you roll it up, because she does that a couple times, you can see it's like a, like a almost like a very bright pink inside, which is cool. It's just a weird little coat with all these little surprises. Now, do you have a favorite puppet, or is that like choosing a favorite child? <laughs> no, I do have a favorite puppet. It's because it's the one that I've spent the most time with, so I feel I'm just attached to him, and that's cool, because he was the doctor of the majority of when we were making Doctor Puppet, even though most of Doctor Puppet is the 11th doctor, because 12 was the doctor I felt more, I, he was the one I brought to the conventions the most, and I just feel attached to him, and also I, I again, I'm very, I feel like I, like I vibe with Peter Capaldi really well, so I just relate to him and his little tiny puppet, and I just like that puppet, I think it's one of my best ones, and 13 is also like just a good, a technically good puppet, so I really like her too, but I have, you know, she's still fresh, I haven't taken her as many places, we haven't formed as many memories together, maybe one day. So, what is next on your plate in terms of projects? Well, uh, If you can say anything. Oh, of course I can, I'm not... No, no secrets here. I mean, I have I have a well of projects that I've been in my brain for years that I have 
haven't been able to do because of Dr. Puppet. But, um, you know, I don't want to be too ambitious just yet because, you know, Dr. Puppet took six years when I thought it would take one. So I don't want to put myself in that boat again. So looking at my well of ideas and trying to pick which one I'm going to do next, I've decided to, to pick the least ambitious one and the one that's kind of the most experimental and the least like Dr. Puppet. So I've been wanting to make a music video for years, nice. and um, you know now uh, I know a really great musician. So Scott, who does all the music for Doctor Puppet, and he's a, a, an incredible uh, electronic musician. And I'm going to do a music video to one of his tracks, and it's going to be a bit experimental. There's some exp um, animation techniques that I played with years ago that I've been wanting to like do again. So. Um, it's stop motion, but there's no set. So again, very different from Dr. Puppet. I've lived with a set in my apartment for too long, so I don't want a set again. So no set, it's gonna be shot outside. So hopefully this summer, I will shoot some little experimental music video um, with Scott's music and then, um, you know, maybe do some little festivals and things like that. I'll probably do an Indiegogo to cover some of the costs of that. And, uh, you know, I'll have some really cool incentives because it's gonna be this little experimental music video. I'll have little sculptures and stuff to, you know, you can get. So, um, you know, keep an eye out from that probably in the next few months. That's my plan to launch that. And then past that, I don't know, I want to just make lots of films that aren't Dr. Puppet. Kind of like you know, use someone else, not use someone else's IP. Create some of my own IP. Have you uh, talked to John Davy at all? Because at his panel, he did, uh, he's done stop motion music videos. <laughs> I met John at Galley last year. And, you know, yeah, he saw the puppet and he was like, oh, you know, I'm a Cyberman, but I also do stop motion and I did the Hang the Witch music video and I was like, oh, I love that music video and so we had a, a great chat. I have to find him here. I keep seeing him and he's like in a crowd of people. We need to catch up. I have, I, you know, these come in, I'll, I'll find like another animator and then we'll just nerd out about animation for a while. And it's like, ooh, we're a Doctor Who convention, let's talk about stop motion instead. Okay, well, we are almost at the 30-minute mark. My second to last question. What piece of advice would you give someone who wanted to enter um, animation? Just animate. You know, it's crazy. I mean, I'm, I'm old, but I'm not that old. And, you know, the difference between how accessible animation is now and when like I was in high school like 15 years ago is massive. I wanted to be an animator and I you know I, I played around with like some software but the software was pretty limited and if I wanted to do stop motion at the time it was kind of difficult because we didn't have a smartphone that had an app where you could do it. So if you want to animate there are so many ways to do it right now. And if you want to use stop motion specifically, I recommend, you know, on a smartphone or a tablet, get one of the free or nearly free different softwares. It's like iStopMotion is one, I don't know. You just search stop motion app and choose the cheapest one or the free one and play around with it. Just do it. If you think animation is for you, it's the best time right now to just see if you like it. And if you do, you can go to college for it, or you can make a film and do festival circuit with it. You know, there's, with animation, the, like, it's about how good your work is, and it's about knowing people. It's not about having a degree. I have a degree in it. If you don't need one, you can get one. But it's certainly not a bar for entry. So if you want to do animation, just do it. Now, the name of my podcast is Geek Out with Angie Fever Sutton, so I try and ask everybody, and obvious, uh, what do you geek about and why? Obviously Doctor Who, but I mean, something else, maybe else that you're currently really, really excited about, and what, what about it draws you? Honestly, it, it's so on brand for me, but animation. I am a huge animation nerd, so I'm really into, I'm 
you know, so many animation projects right now I'm excited for, especially in stop motion. It is such an exciting time for stop motion. There are so many features in production right now that are coming out. Like his new film, Missing Link, comes out very soon, I forget. But I'm, I'm, the one I'm most looking forward to is Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio film. So if you... If you're an animation geek like me, you've probably heard whispers of this film for years because he'd been wanting to make a stop-motion film for forever, and he couldn't get the funding. But he goes and wins multiple Academy Awards, and what is the? You know, now he has a green light for anything he wants to do. What's the first project he gets green lit? His stop-motion film. So that just, just warms my heart. So I I can't wait. And also I got to see like the test puppets, the maquettes that they had made for um, Pinocchio at McKinnon and Saunders, which is an animation studio in, in Manchester that I'm a massive fan of, and I got to visit them a few years ago, and there's the little Pinocchio puppets just sitting there in a glass box just waiting to be greenlit, and I'm like, yes! And I got greenlit, and I am thrilled. And um, also the, the Shaun the Sheep movie, I... <laughs> that is so hilarious. It's called Farmageddon. Yeah. I mean, I love Shaun the Sheep. It, it's... I take a lot of my artistic license from Shaun the Sheep. It's cute, you know. It's again, it's kind of, it's, it's like a general audience's thing. It's it's friendly for kids, but it's complex enough that adults uh, get a kick out of it too. And some dialogue, which is exactly what I do. So well, it's it's Ardman, right? It's Ardman, Ardman. same with Wallace and Gromit. And yep, all that. and I love love all of that so much. So oh, and there's a Chicken Run sequel coming out. Oh, is there? Oh yeah, Please which is. Oh, it's Ardman, it's Chicken Run sequel, and Chicken Run is also one of the things that like got me into stop motion other than Nightmare Before Christmas, because Chicken Run came out when, like, when there were no stop motion movies happening, and everyone thought stop motion was dead mm. in like 2000. Anyone doing it was like, well, you know, if I have a job right now, this will be my last job. People making Chicken Run said, this will be our last job. It'll never happen again, and then Coraline happened, and they're like, well, this will be our last job. But it didn't, and um, it's an interesting thing where it's like, you know, computer animation kind of got a little tired, and audiences, it wasn't this shiny new thing, and uh, suddenly audiences were willing to embrace other animation, studios were willing to fund other kinds of animation, so it's kind of an interesting time, and I am here for it. Awesome. Now, uh, for those of you who may not know you, where can people find you? Well, you can find Dr. Puppet on YouTube. All of the videos are there. Just search Dr. Puppet. You'll find my channel. There is a playlist of all of the numbered episodes, so that serialized story I mentioned, um, one through eight. Just watch the playlist. It's easiest. There's also Christmas specials. There's also behind-the-scenes videos that you can check out. It's just... And I'm doing commentary videos now, too. Actually, today, Sunday, one of the commentary videos just came out. Um, I scheduled that before coming to Galley. So there's a new, uh, new commentary video. And I'm also on most of the social medias. You can find Dr. Puppet or my personal account, but I post a lot about Dr. Puppet. And then Scott, the composer, has a SoundCloud where you can listen to all of the Dr. Puppet music. You can also purchase the soundtrack, which is in incredible, honestly. So, um, final, uh, just, was there anything that you wanted to talk about that we haven't, or something that you thought I was going to ask that we didn't? One final... Uh, thank anything? you. <laughs> thank you for watching and supporting Dr. Puppet. It, it, I mean, it's, as I've said, it's this ridiculous thing I never intended to make, and uh, we make it mostly alone. It is, you know, stop motion is a lonely thing, so thank you for, uh, for paying attention to what we do. It means the world. And now, it's time for Angie Geeks Out. 
I was a child of the 1980s. As such, I watched the cartoon He-Man Masters of the Universe, although I don't remember watching She-Ra Princess of Power quite so much. When Netflix announced in 2018 that they were going to be rebooting the animated series with the help of DreamWorks, I was intrigued. When the images of She-Ra came out, and thereby frustrating a boatload of dude bro fanboys for not being quote-unquote sexy, I became even more interested. Many of my friends who have the same taste as I do delved into it, and so I kept hearing about how good it was. However, it sat on my When I Invent the 48-Hour Day list for quite a while. In mid-September, I wanted something easy to watch, but also something new. So I figured I may as well give the pilot episode a try. Next thing I know, I had inhaled the first season. Following the exploits of teenager Adora, an orphan raised by the Horde, she finds a magic sword that transforms her into She-Ra and comes across Glimmer, Princess of Bright Moon, who is determined to fight the Horde no matter what her mother says. Through this meeting, Adora finds out the Horde is out to take over Etheria and joins the Resistance. The two set out to rebuild the Princess Alliance, all the while dealing with the fallout of Adora's actions. My friends, I was warned that this show was pretty gay. I was not warned enough. The show, and I say this with all positively, is so gay, with the writing barely subtext in terms of the themes of being true to yourself and coming out with a different identity than you're known for. I mean, the season one finale includes a rainbow wave overpowering the bad guys. That's how unsubtle the show is. An all-female writer's room means that each of our main characters are not just strong female characters TM, but actually well-written female characters, and there are obvious influences from anime and Miyazaki in the animation style. Finally, the cast is so diverse, and the stories are all positive messages about how we are stronger when we work together, a much-needed theme for today's world. So far, I've only seen the first season, but that's due to lack of time more than interest. Each episode is about 30 minutes, and there's only 13 episodes in the first season, so it's a pretty quick watch. The full three seasons are streaming on Netflix, and they just announced at New York Comic Con that season four will premiere on November 5th. If you're looking for something uplifting, while not overly cheesy, give the show a try. By the power of Grayskull, you won't regret it. And that's a wrap for this episode. Thanks to Elisa Stern for letting me interview her. Thanks also to Brian J. Smith for the mid-show plug. You can hear his interview, as well as other cast members from Sense8, in episode 33. Next up, I'm going to be interviewing Sav Rogers, a filmmaker I knew back in Kansas City, who's currently in Los Angeles thanks to his documentary, Chasing Chasing Amy. We'll be talking about being a queer filmmaker in the Midwest, meeting Kevin Smith, and more. Until next time, stay geeky. Thanks for listening to Geek Out with Angie Fiedler-Sutton. The theme song is Schoolyard Haze by Yari Picknickin, available via the Free Music Archive. More information about the podcast is available on my website, angiefsutton.com. <laughs>